This is recording number 10747 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the fourth message in the Embracing Your Destiny series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, January 27, 2008. This message is titled, Persist and Persevere. We're going to continue our, our study called Embracing Your Destiny. We're, we're, we're making our way through the book of Joshua, which is all about the people of Israel having uh, come out of slavery in Egypt and they have made their way uh, th- uh, to the Jordan River, the uh, east side of the Jordan River that serves as the threshold into the land of God's promises to them, the place of their destiny. And we are, um, uh, you know, the book of Joshua is here for this reason. It's not just a book of history. It has historical events in it. But it's not just a book of history. God has arranged for us today to be reading from the book of Joshua for this reason. Because he has plans and purposes for your life. A destiny for you. And he's wanting for us to learn from the example of the people of Israel as they actually crossed the threshold and began to occupy the territory of their destiny. To actually live there. Not just think about it. Not just hope for it. Not just wonder if someday they might bump into it. But actually live in the place of their destiny. That's what the book of Joshua is here for. So we're, we're, uh, we're along for the ride. And we've talked about... The fact that embracing your destiny means to face your future, to chart your course. And last week we talked about how embracing your destiny means to surrender self. And today we're going to talk about how embracing your destiny means to persist and persevere. The word perseverance, according to the dictionary, means steady persistence. That's that other word, persist and persevere. But perseverance means steady persistence. In a course of action, a purpose, a state, etc., especially in spite of difficulties, obstacles, or discouragements. Now, let me tell you, if you haven't already figured this out, there are obstacles uh, between you and the de- God's destiny for your life. Because... Not because God placed them there, but because of the result of our... And we'll talk some more about this today. But because some of, the, some of it is the result of our own choices, our own actions, our own decisions. But also, some of it is the result of the one who wants to keep you from everything God has planned for you. But God is greater. We're going to find out today that we can partner with him in seeing those obstacles come down. So... I'm going to ask you to begin reading or follow along with me as I read from Joshua chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. 
Jericho was the first obstacle that the people of Israel encountered on their way to embracing or or, uh, uh, capturing or uh, experiencing or living in the place, the life that God had promised them, their their destiny. Jericho was the first obstacle. It was a, a strongly fortified city. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But it says here that the people of Jericho, even though God has, or God has said, I didn't mean even though, God has said, Joshua, the leader of the people, he says, I'm going to give you Jericho. Don't worry about it. I know it looks frightening and scary and more than you can handle, but I'm going to give it to you. And then it goes on to say about the people of Jericho were afraid of the people of Israel because they knew God was with them. And so they have shut all the gates and stockpiled their supplies and they're ready to... Uh, handle whatever siege or, or other uh, embattlements may be coming. And here's what the Lord says to the people of Israel in terms of strategy. Beginning in verse 3, he says, I want you to march around the city and I want you to do it once, one time every six days, or four six days. And seven priests, verse 4 says, shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the uh, ark, the ark of the covenant... But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass, when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Turn, uh, or look down at verse 15. Actually, I'm not sure if it's down or up on your page. <laughs> it's down on mine. So anyway, verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city um, seven times in the same manner. So we're, we've jumped ahead now. Every day for six days, the people of Israel have marched around the city of Jericho. They were told to do it in silence. Except for the seven priests who were blowing these seven ram's horns, ram's horn trumpets. So get the picture. There's this fortified city. The people of Israel led by the men of war, the, the, the soldiers. They go first. Then comes the, come the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And especially the seven priests with the trumpets. And they're blowing those trumpets. And then behind them, everybody else. And they march around the city one time every day for six days in total silence except for the blowing of the ram's horns. Now we've jumped ahead to the point where they are on the seventh day marching around the city seven times. All right. Verse 16. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 20. So the people shouted when the, ple- when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. I'm going to go on and read a couple more verses, but before I do, let me kind of catch you up. I don't, it's pretty self-explanatory, but they, do what the, they, they carry out this absurd, weird strategy that God has given them to march around the city once every day for six days, and on the seventh day, march around seven times, and when they've done that, then shout, and lo and behold, the walls of this fortified city come down, and they take the city. Verse 22. 
But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. Let me tell you the backstory here. Some of you will remember one of the first things that happened when the children of Israel came to this. At the beginning of the book of Joshua, when they come to this threshold of their destiny, Joshua sends spies out. We talked about this under the heading, Chart Your Course. He sent spies out to get the lay of the land and get some strategic um, intelligence about the, the enemies that they were going to encounter. And one of the places that they had spied out was Jericho. And to avoid being seen by, you know, the people of, uh, the, the leaders of the city of Jericho that would want to capture them as spies because they're doing this covertly, um, they, they go to a part of the city where, you know, they're, they're not going to be scrutinized as much. And there's a woman there named Rahab and she is a, a harlot. And so they, she hides them and protects them. And as a result, they said to her, Rahab, when God gives us this city, you'll be spared and all your family. So now the city walls have come down. The people of Israel have taken the city. And Joshua says to these two spies, okay, guys, go get her. Go get Rahab. And this woman, we don't know a whole lot about her, uh, her history, but we know, we can tell from the things that we, um, the record we do have in Joshua, that somewhere along the line, she had come to be a believer in Jehovah and had forsaken her harlotry. And now God is keeping his promise to her and, and has kept her safe and saved her from the destruction of Jericho. Verse 25, And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. All right. With that in the background, let's talk about some things from this passage that have to do with our embracing our destiny and the importance of persisting and persevering. The first thing I want you to see is that we are called as people who, uh, or we are challenged as people who want to actually live in this place of God's plans and purposes for our lives to persist and persevere because every wall will come down. Everything that seems to separate you from what you have or you anticipate God being, God's will being for your life, every barrier between where you are now and that place, God will bring down. And heaven knows all of us have those kinds of obstacles in our lives. We can kind of glimpse it out there. We, 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 something deep inside of us resonates that there's more to this life. God must have more in store for me than just making sure that I get all my bills paid, that I keep the lawn mowed, that my kids don't kill each other, those kinds of things. God must have something more in mind for me than that. And we see it out there. We can read about it in the scripture and, and our heart resonates with that. But we say, but, but look, I can't get there. There's too many obstacles in the way. I don't know enough. I don't have enough money. I've screwed up all of my options. And so now I'm stuck in this place. No, you're not. No, you're not. God is calling us to persist and persevere because he will bring every wall down. Nothing can resist the force of God's plans for you. Nothing. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that just to sort of, you know, stir you up or, you know, cheerlead you on or anything like that. But just read this book. Nothing, nothing can withstand the force of God's will and purposes. Nothing. 
There isn't any obstacle you face that big. This is a cross-section that illustrates the, what has been discovered as the archaeological digs at the city of Jericho of what those, what, it was actually two walls, what they were like. Down here in the bottom is just a little picture that shows people. That's what people are, are, the size of people in comparison to the fortifications of this city, which was up on kind of a hill. And they had this retaining wall, and then another giant wall on top of that, a huge berm of earth, and then another wall on top of that. And these are not, this is not a backyard fence or a chain link. You know, this is a significant obstacle. The people of Israel undoubtedly thought what you think. I can't get there from here. And this city was strategic. They could not go any farther in to possess the land of their promise until they dealt with Jericho. They had to control this crucial connection point because Jericho was uh, situated at, a, at a, uh, the place where uh, a number of um, pathways into the heart of, of Palestine uh, intersected. And so it guarded their advance. They couldn't go any farther until they dealt with Jericho. And it must have seemed to them as though there, there was no possibility they could deal with this. But nothing can resist the force of God's plans for you. Another thing I want you to see is that grace works backward. Let me explain that. We, most of us in this room, understand that grace works forward. You know, when I come to a point of repentance, I understand that God's grace can begin to change things in before me, change things in in my future. When I come to repentance, God's grace works forward. But I want you to know, and I want to remind you maybe of something that you have known and maybe forgotten, that God's grace always also, excuse me, works backward. It reaches back to gather up all the broken pieces of the detritus of our life and bring it into God. Restore it, redeem it, recapture it so that God's will and purposes for our life can be um, on, can unfold before us. The, that's one of the most amazing things to me about the grace of God. And I want to tell you a story. Yesterday, I took a trip down memory lane. <laughs> I drove down to uh, the city of Oakland and down around uh, the Coliseum area there to a place where I worked for, uh, oh, probably, I guess, two, two three years. Uh, and about... 25, a little over 25 years ago. And this is what it looked like yesterday when I stood out front of those uh, gates and, and took this photo. It's a warehouse facility. Uh, it's owned by a different company now. When I was there, it was owned by Castle and Cook Foods, and, and it was used to uh, as a warehouse and transloading facility for Dole products, uh, which were uh, bumblebee tuna and seafood uh, uh, Dole uh, pineapples, which was the division I worked with, fresh produce, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I had this job of on the on the where that arrow is pointing right now. That was our loading dock there, and uh, we would put 
uh, cont uh, refrigerated containers that would come over from the Hawaiian Islands with fresh loaded pine or a fresh pineapple on one side, and then trucks from Safeway or Joe's Produce would come to the other side of the dock, and we would transload uh, from the, the shipping containers into their trucks the amount of produce or fruit that they had had ordered. And my job was to help oversee this transloading of this stuff. And on top of that thing right there, which is now a dumpster of some sorts, well, not on top of it, but where that is located, there used to be a big pile of wooden pallets. And on top of that was this wooden shed. And you can, well, you can't really see, but you can kind of see the, the mark on the building where that, that shed used to be. And that was my, my office out there. <laughs> and... Um, I, I had gotten to this place by a, a long series of bad decisions on my part. Not that this wasn't... A, I, I thank God for the job. I, I don't, it was a hard job, and, I, and there was a lot of things that I just didn't like about it at all, but, but I was grateful to have a job. But I had gotten there through, uh, by making some bad decisions. And uh, part of that was that my whole life, from when I was about nine years old... All I wanted to do was what I'm doing right now today. The only thing I really wanted to do in life was teach people from God's word and serve as a pastor. I wanted to do that since I was nine years old. I went, after I graduated from high school, I went to Bible college and uh, began my theological training and tended to get my undergraduate degree and then go on and get my postgraduate degree and, and, uh, and do this thing that I felt called to do. But I was 19 years old and in my second year of college, and I, and I thought, man, I, I'm so tired of studying about God. <laughs> I want to serve God. And I, just, and I had the opportunity because I was in a band that was beginning to you know, have uh, you know, opportunities to, to travel and, and record and things like that. So I told myself, well, I'll, I'll just uh, I'll do that instead. So I made this decision to leave Bible college, and I did this other, you know, music ministry for a number of years, and, and um, you know, that's a long story. I won't tell you. God, God was faithful to us, to care, to use us, and things like that, but, but I had taken a detour. Any of you ever, ever done that? You know. You know. <laughs> Looking back, you know you took a detour, right? I did. A major detour. And one day I found myself sitting in the shack that used to be right there, taking a break, and I, and I had my Bible with me, like this, and I, my intention was to you know, do my Bible reading from the day. So I was sitting in there, had my Bible open. I can't tell you where I was reading because I, I wasn't paying any attention. Have you ever done that? And you read the Bible and you just, you don't even know what you read, but you, you put it in. You got your, your daily reading in. Right? So that's what I was doing. I was reading. I don't even know what I was reading. But uh, I know what I was thinking. I was thinking, God, is there any way that I could get back on track for your will for my life? Is there any possibility? And I was actually feeling like the answer was no. And what was going through my mind was, okay, God, you know, I could, I could be in the produce business for the rest of my life. I could do that. And then what came screaming into my thoughts, quite apart from wherever I was reading here, what came screaming into my thoughts 
was a verse from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 that I had memorized many years ago and was kind of my theme for my sense of calling, which was study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that had been my theme for so many years, and I'd, I'd lost touch of it. But in that moment, that verse came to my mind, and I re- the next thing I remember was hearing this as my Bible hit the floor because I was suddenly convinced that the Lord was with me in that shack and answering my prayer and saying, yes, there is. There is a way for you to get back on track with my plans for your life. And I, I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to, how to respond. I didn't know what to do. I was, I was like, I was speechless. And I, and I was saying, God, I, I almost don't dare to believe that. But I want to. I want to believe that there's a way that you could recover. You, grace could reach backward. I went home that night. And this was back in the Stone Age. And people didn't, you know, you didn't have op- opportunities to uh, take college courses remotely and that sort of thing. Um, we didn't have computers or anything like that. And uh, I, I got home. And in the mail was a brochure from the Bible college that I had, had attended and, and uh, you know, left, uh, uh, um, describing a correspondence curriculum that they had just put together. Now, I have no idea how they knew where I lived. I had never corresponded with them in all the years since I'd left that Bible college. I'd never given them any sort of forwarding address or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, that day, this thing shows up in my mailbox. I, I decide, okay, God, this must be you. I enrolled. You couldn't complete all your credits uh, by correspondence, but I thought, well, I'll go as far as I can because at this point in my life, I am 400 miles away from that college, living here in Northern California. That's in Southern California. I've got a wife and two kids to support. I couldn't imagine how this obstacle could come down. It seemed to me to be too formidable, but I thought, okay, Lord, I'll take the first step. And I enrolled in this correspondence course. Then I ended up, a whole series of things unfolded for me, and I found myself taking two... Um, study trips, one to South America where I, I uh, hung out with some missionaries there for a while and just learned at their feet. I took another study course to the, na- to the land of Israel, the Holy Land, and, and studied there. I, a whole bunch of things began to unfold that the Lord unlocked for me so that this wall that stood between where I had gotten myself and where God wanted me to be could come down. And... Um, one of the things that was so astounding to me was because I had I'd always looked at my job as sort of just a, well, it's just something I have to do to pay the bills. But when I began to take these correspondence courses, I found out that God had already gone before me and he knew exactly how to make all this work. And I had a job where on that loading dock right there where we worked like crazy. I mean, we just ran our tails off for about three days a week because you had to work when the fruit was fresh. When the boats came in, you had to work until it was all gone. And then we'd always have probably two days a week where we did nothing. And I mean nothing. And got paid for it. You had to be there. But we did no work. Except I did all my coursework there. I got paid for it. Legitimately. And I thought, I began to think, God, you are just too amazing. Too amazing. Until the last day I was there. And then I, then 
I really discovered how amazing God could be. Because remember, my thought was at that moment when I dropped my Bible on the floor and thought God was saying, yeah, there's a way back. I thought, well, how in the world can I ever, how can I ever get back to seminary? That's what I thought. How could I ever get back to seminary? It's too far. That wall is too high. It can't come down. I'm too far from there. We can't recover this. And then these little steps, one after another, all that I've just described to you. My last day at that place right there, uh, I left, I left that, that loading dock on a Monday. On, I mean, on a Friday. On Monday, I was going to be in my, my first pastoral staff, full-time pastoral staff position at a church in Danville. Radical transformation was happening in my life. Sue came to pick me up. I got in the car. She was driving. We pulled out the gate. And um, the gate that I showed you a picture of that, you know, that first picture I showed you, where that gate is located is at the end, at the foot of a street. There's a street in Oakland that dead ends at that gate. And I had never thought about this. And all the time I worked there, you have to take my word for it, it had never, ever crossed my mind what I'm going to show you. But we were pulling out of that gate. I was sitting in the passenger seat because Sue was driving. And to my right is the street sign that marks the end of that street. And this is it. (laughs) (laughs) Seminary Avenue. Grace works backward. Now, God has called us in embracing our destiny to persist and persevere because every mile matters. And I want, we've talked about this some before, but I want to uh, uh, re-address it for just a moment. That destiny is, is more like a road trip than a destination. Here's a picture of, uh, Uh, Sue on the balcony of a hotel we stayed at on Waikiki Beach last year. We've been vacationing in the the Hawaiian Islands for um, once a year for the last decade. Uh, We just love going there. It's a destination for us, though. We jump on a plane, and we go to the Honolulu airport, rent a car, go to our hotel, and stay there for a week and do nothing. That's what we do. It's a destination vacation. And a lot of times people think about destiny as a destination vacation. Ah, God, just help me get to that place where I'm going to sit on the beach of my destiny for the rest of my life. Right? But as we've talked about before, destiny is more like a road trip. It's more like the trip I took in that station wagon with my maternal grandfather who's standing there. I took this photo with my little, little brownie camera thing. And he dragged me in that station wagon all around the rest of western states of America. And I, you know, I remember uh, we got to the Grand Canyon. I had no idea what this, all this was about. I jumped out of the car. I was so sick of driving in that car. I jumped out and I ran over to the fence that keeps people from falling over the edge down the Grand Canyon. And I wanted to see what everybody was looking at. So I j- ran over there with all my might, climbed up on the fence, threw my legs over, sat up on the top of there and looked over while my grandmother and grandfather were having a heart attack. I remember that. I remember being in Wyoming and, and being feet 
from a, a, a buffalo and, and having my grandfather take my picture. I remember seeing grizzlies. I remember watching the bats fly out of the mouth of, of Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico. I remember diving head first into the Salt Lake. Nobody told me what that was and all that mineral water and stuff in my eyes. I was burning for a week. I, re- I remember all of this stuff. And the, the, you know, I collected soap. Pieces, uh, you know, bars of soap from all the hotels we stayed at, and matchbooks from every restaurant we ate at, and all this. I still have it because that trip marked me. It marked me. Destiny is more like that, where every mile matters. It's planned by God. Even the things that are unpleasant, like when we were driving up Pikes Peak and that windy road, and I got so sick to my stomach. Yeah, me too. every mile matters every part of what God has ordained for our life every step counts and the the thing to be reminded about with that regard is resist the temptation to take a shortcut take every step the Lord sets before you embrace it as part of his destined purposes for your life Live through every moment. Don't try to skip ahead. Because every mile counts. Every experience. In fact, in God's definition of destiny, it's all about the journey. It's all about the experiences that he has with us. Finally, embracing your destiny, persisting and persevering, is because someone is waiting for you. The destinies of others depend on you embracing yours. Think about Rahab. This woman who was stuck, even though she had cha- even though her heart had changed, she'd become a believer in Jehovah and abandoned her harlotry, yet the label stuck. Even here when we read about it, she's always called the harlot Rahab. She lives under that, that curse. And it may be that some of us here in this room, certainly people we know, live under that moniker of something that has branded their life and they can't seem to get out from under it. They can't seem to get out from under the weight of where they've been or mistakes they've made. Or... But God wants to use me and use you to help others experience their destiny too. And every step that we take in a simple obedience to God, every footfall... That's why it was so critical for the people of Israel to march around that city. One step at a time. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, marching around that city in silence. Once for six days and then seven seven times on the seventh day. Because every footfall was... I I should stop and say that there are many theories about how the the scientific theories about how the walls of Jericho fell down. We don't know for sure. So what I'm going to share with you right now is is, uh, it's kind of supported by science, but we don't know for certain. And so I'll share it with you in that light. But it's not, uh, it doesn't really change 
um, what I'm going to, uh, the point I'm making, but follow along with me. One of the theories is that with every footfall of these hundreds of thousands, if not uh, two or three million people, making their way around um, the, the city of Jericho was a seismic event. Every footfall, little bitty seismic event. And that over the course of time, that many people, over that period of seven days, that many people, you know, uh, reverberating around the city was shaking the foundations loose of these walls, breaking up the mortar so that at the end when they circled the city and shouted that the force of that, uh, those uh, sound waves was all it took to bring it down. That means that every step is important. Every single step. Every time I act out of integrity instead of self-interest or, or um, you know, something less than integrity. Every time I greet somebody in a, in a righteous way and behave in a loving manner towards them. Every time I choose to honor my spouse instead of cut them down. Every time I take a step in obedience to God, something is shaking loose in the prison that not, that not only holds me, but others, and keeps them, the obstacles that keep them from their destiny. Every footfall breaks something up. That's why the destiny is so daily. Do you know that, let's see what else I have up here. Okay, every step is a seismic event. You know that you could go to, I'm almost done. You could go to Matthew, the first chapter, and read one of those so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-sos. One of those genealogies that we almost always skip over when we're reading in the Bible, right? There's one of them right there at the beginning of the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, chapter 1. In there, you're going to see the name of Rahab. Why? Because she um, became... The grandmother of uh, Boaz. Some of you will remember the story of Ruth, who married Boaz, who was the great-grandfather of David, who was the forefather of Joseph, who married Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. This woman, who had always been known her whole life as Rahab the harlot, now is on the first page of the New Testament in the lineage of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. You can turn to the book of Hebrews in the heart of the Old Testament, or heart of the New Testament, from chapter 11. It's often called the Bible's Hall of Faith, where all of these people are listed there who have seen God do amazing things in response to faith. And in that chapter there, you'll see the name of Rahab. There are people in, in the sphere, or the circle of your life's influence that have a destiny too, that God wants to, um, for, for them to experience. And theirs is linked to yours. Every footfall matters. Every step is a seismic event that's breaking something loose in your the proceeding of your life into embracing yours and theirs.